Okay, Leviticus 21, and our study from Genesis to Malachi. The book of Leviticus, about holiness, that's the theme, Uh, starts off with a description of the sacrifices, then moves on to the inauguration of the priesthood to eventually be fulfilled in Christ, then moves on to various aspects of holiness. We've already been through sanitary, dietary, certain hygiene things, and also behavioral things in our last study. Tonight, we will be studying some things about the distinct nature and the distinct requirements for holiness among the priesthood. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can open your word in this book, who, uh, this book which many consider to be obscure and irrelevant. Lord, we know that it was never meant to be so, quoted so many times in the the New Testament. And so we pray, Lord, that the relevance of this book, the the warnings in it, the strengthenings in it, the encouragements in it, uh, Lord, that you would expose uh, our hearts to all of that during this time in Jesus' name. Leviticus 21, verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people. And so uh, here the uh, requirements of uh, for a priesthood here, uh, interesting how in verse 4, Uh, It speaks further as to the reason for some of these requirements that we're going to see in this uh, chapter. It says in verse 4, He shall not defile himself being a chief man among his people, or because he is a chief man among his people to profane himself. And so a priest, the office of a priest, uh, two functions, one, they are representing a holy God to the people. And two, they are representing the people to God. And uh, verse four just uh, says there that the, he, he is a chief man. And that's why we have uh, some a couple chapters here uh, dedicated to the holiness of the priest. Now, in the uh, New Testament, uh, we do have parallels uh, to be an elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and also in Titus, there are specific requirements for uh, elders and deacons. And uh, the Bible does say that be careful, desiring the office of a teacher because there is a stricter judgment for teachers. Now, why would, uh, I believe that's in the book of James, why would James say that? Well, because there's a stricter judgment because there is more of an opportunity 
for a teacher of God's word, since he is or she is in a public setting, to misrepresent God. And we've already uh, talked about in earlier uh, sessions about Moses, uh, who, uh, before the people, struck the rock uh, uh, in the book of Exodus, and water poured forth. And because he struck the rock rather than uh, speaking to the rock, and because he... uh, he was angry when he did so. Uh, Moses was in such an exalted position, he was unable to, God prevented him even to go into the promised land. Uh, the rock represented Christ. Uh, in earlier on in the book of Re- uh, Exodus, God did tell him to strike the rock, um, but Jesus is only crucified. He's only struck once. And so when Moses came back and struck it two times after being told to speak to it and then again with anger uh, you you have a higher standard now I, I personally am, uh, fully believe that uh, any uh, man or woman can strive to uh, the position of being a teacher any man uh, can strive to be uh, the uh, hold the position of an elder but they need to understand that part of that, um, there's a higher standard. And guess what? That's a privilege. And I don't think anyone should shy away from uh, these offices of leadership. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says, he says, those who desire to be a, a, an elder, they desire a good thing. It's a good thing. And um, it does concern me sometimes when I see young men and sometimes uh young women shrinking back from leadership because uh, they are either fearful of the standard uh, or because, uh, well, how could I, you know, be bothered with with all that extra work? It's a privileged calling. Uh, But here, uh, in in addition to those general principles of, of misrepresenting God, you have some very important types going on here in the book of Leviticus. Uh, the the priest, the high priest, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. And so for that reason, God is uh, has a couple chapters at least dedicated uh, to this thing. First, verse 1 speaks about he shall not defile himself uh, for the dead. Now we uh, earlier uh, Read that um, if someone is in contact with the dead, with a, a funeral or something like that, that uh, they were unclean for the day. Um, the the priests uh, were not able, were prohibited from doing so because of their duties. It would take them out of their uh, position as a priest and. Uh, they ha- there's a job they need to do either in the tabernacle or later on in the temple and so uh, they are told not to defile themselves uh, by touching or handling a dead body verse 2 except for his relatives who are nearest to him his mother his father his son his daughter and his brother also his virgin sister meaning unmarried sister who is near to him who has no husband for her, he may for her he may defile himself and so they can go to the funeral they shall um, put 
uh, they sort of, they can handle uh, the, the dead bodies of immediate relatives, uh, but um, because of their position as a priest and because of all the typology um, uh, surrounding the office of the priesthood, um, there was restrictions concerning the handling of the dead. Why? Verse 4, lest he profane himself. Verse 4 again, otherwise he shall not defile himself being a chief man among his people. And so when a person is uh, in a leadership position, a chief man or, or, or being a chief woman, I tell you, uh, people look at that person and that and, and people people's opinions um, regarding uh, God will be affected by that person's behavior. So a chief man, a chief woman, Man, if if they decide to take their role lightly as leader and they decide to uh, go against God's word or or be take part of God's word lightly in terms of their behavior, that will affect people's view of God. And God takes that very seriously. Uh, it's It's also, you know, it uses this word profane here in verse 4. And I want to talk about that word for a second. The word profane, uh, it, it, it says, don't let a, a, a priest profane themselves by touching a dead body. And, and that word profane is, is, is really, it's going to be a theme throughout uh, these chapters regarding the priest. We tend to think of profane, we tend to think of something obscene, like a, a curse word, a four-letter word, or something particularly wicked. It's not so in the Bible. In the Bible, it's something profane is something that's common. It's uh, it's a privilege being a priest. It's a privilege being a servant of God. It's a privilege serving in the church. And we should never treat it as a common thing. And uh, by a common thing, I I I I think of um, Samson when I think of this word profane or meaning common. When when Samson uh, was uh, coaxed by Delilah to tell him the secret of his strength after she just uh, pestered him daily with her words. It says that his soul was vexed to death in Judges 16. In verse 17, you see this tragic capitulation on the part of Samson. It, he tells her the reason for his strength. He says, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And I think that's a great picture of the word profane or the word common. If as Christians we're just living as any other person, there's not a distinct nature to our walk with God. We're really profaning the name of God. We're, we, and, and if we're handling um, our responsibilities as, as ministers of God, as servants of God, as people who, a Sunday school teacher, someone in the choir, a greeter, an usher, 
anybody, someone who sweeps the floor, someone who sets up, breaks down at church. It's never to be treated like a common thing, a profane thing. And so uh, that's a theme in this chapter. Verse 5, They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. All of that was practiced in the pagan religions. Verse 6, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. You know, I I was just in this discussion today with someone where we were talking about, and this is something I tell our ministry team at Calvary Chapel in the city on a regular basis, every Sunday morning service, heaven and hell hang in the balance. There's people in there who are unsaved in the service. There's people in there who are backsliding, or there's people who desperately need to be encouraged because they're in a great work of God and they're discouraged. And that's a holy thing. Verse 6 says here, speaks of the, the priest duties um, as, as um, being holy and never to treat that, never to profane that service, and and it's the same thing with with our service to the Lord. Verse seven: They shall not take a wife, speaking of the priest again, who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. So, what's that about? Um, uh, is where where's the grace here? I mean, uh, I, I know Christians who have once been uh, who are married to women who were uh, used to live a life of prostitution. What this is about is again, it's the it's a theme that you must understand if you're ever going to understand uh, the Book of Leviticus. That this is a type here. The priest is a type. Uh, Jesus is our high priest. And um, that's a, an, an incredibly serious thing. And so uh, because Christ is the fulfillment of all these things, uh, the, it's, it, these extra requirements were, were given to these priests. Now, it is worthy of note that at the time in pagan religions, many uh, there was temple prostitution and uh, they um, were, were, were there were priest, priestesses within the temple who were prostis, uh, prostitutes and the pagan priests used to marry them. And so some of this is also just relates to uh, look, you guys are separate. You're different from the world. And wanting in every way during this time where God is reintroducing himself to the world. Remember at the time of Abraham, knowledge of God had been completely cut off ever since the time of Abraham and the establishment of Israel. God is reintroducing himself to the world through Israel. God is is has really wants them to look and feel and behave like a separate people. And so, uh, hence the reason for for some of these laws. Verse 8, Therefore you shall consecrate him. For he, speaking of the priest, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, 
who sanctify you am holy. And so the bread of God, this is speaking of the show bread, one loaf of bread for each of the 12 tribes of Israel um, offered to the Lord, represents God's continuing provision to the Lord. It says, verse 9, the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Oh my. Uh, so what's all that about? Well, uh, when it says that she, let me start uh, first by saying this, when it says she, she shall be uh, burned with fire, that doesn't mean that she will be put to death by fire. Think Achan is first stoned and then he um, is put in the fire. This is a similar thing. The To be a family of a priest, again, they, there was the utmost uh, concern for that the that the ministry itself would not be defiled it would not be hindered um, that the the nation of israel would not look askance on it and so here really speaking of adult daughters uh, if she if they play the harlot if they enter into prostitution it was just such an exceedingly um exceedingly uh impactful thing on the ministry. Now, today things are quite, quite different than at the time of this writing. I mean, at the time of this writing, um, if a daughter were to do something like this, even as an adult, um, it would really bring ruin on the entire ministry. I mean, as horrible as this behavior is, I think that most people under this dispensation of grace that we're in understand um, that these things can happen with adults, adult daughters sometime, even as, as a, even um, with, with parents who are, are Christians, they can, uh, uh, adult daughters can go into uh, the drug addiction. Drug addiction oftentimes with uh, women will result in, in prostitution. And so um, here you have a, a very serious thing. And so the, the, the family of a priest, they, they, they really understood the gravity of being uh, in, in the priesthood there uh, in Israel. Now, I, I will say this, that um, with my own children, I have five children, we have never put a standard on them that was different uh, for them than any other Christian uh, from time to time, my children uh, would say something like, "Well, this is happening just because we're uh, we're a pastor's son or a pastor's daughter," and and we were quick to say, "No, we would be doing this regardless." You know, even if I was the guy who sweeps at the church, this is something that in the Bible that ap- applies to every Christian, and uh, and so. You know, with kids, it's tough. They'll point to this person and that person who doesn't make their kids uh, do the same thing. But, you know, you got to stick with what your convictions are with the Word of God. And so today we're in a different dispensation, and and I do not think it's wise at all uh, for pastors to be putting a higher standard on their children than... um, than the Bible puts on for any other Christian, lest rebellion um, happen and the kid walk into so many PKs, preachers' kids, uh, wind up rebelling because of being put to a standard that no other kid, uh, no kid really should be under. 
And so, but this is a, a, a very different time here in Leviticus, God reintroducing himself to the world, so important to maintain the integrity of the family of a priest. Verse 10, he who is the high priest, so there's only one high priest, there's many priests, um, and, and many Levites as well, but many priests, um, but there's only one high priest, and it says, he who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured. Now, we read earlier about the inauguration of the high priest. When a new, there was a new high priest, his, um, his, his head was anointed with oil. On whose head the anointing oil was poured and who is consecrated to wear the garments shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. Meaning, this is again a reference to the dead, people dying. The high priest, because there was only one of them, could not participate in anyone's funeral, even an immediate family. It goes on to say in verse uh, 11, nor shall he go near any dead body nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Um, and this, the reason for this is there's only one high priest. And so he would be unable to go to the funeral because there's only one of them. The other priests, there's many of them. There are even hundreds, but there's only one high priest. And so uh, I tell you, you go, this is a, a, a job that, uh, a role that, man, you went into with fear and trembling. You couldn't even go to your father's funeral. Of course, that, of course, the father and mother and family understood these things. They understood that um, if they had a family member who was high priest, there was a, a certain holiness to them. So I'm sure they understood and felt very privileged to be in a high priest family. Nevertheless, um, you have here uh, this just uh, real important typology. Jesus is our high priest. And so... Uh, cannot make himself unclean for any reason, including going to uh, a funeral. Verse 12, nor shall the high priest go out of the sanctuary, this is during his work, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. Verse 13, he shall take a wife in her virginity. Now, again, you may say, wow, what kind of craziness is this? I mean, what about grace? Well, again, the typology is so important that we understand that um, a high priest is a uh, foreshadowing of none other than Jesus Christ. And, uh, and uh, it's, 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 it's important uh, to understand that, uh, I think of Second Corinthians eleven two, Paul says to the Corinthian, the Corinthian church, "For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ." So, the church in the New Testament, when it's clothed with the righteousness of Christ, is a chaste virgin. And so the typology here, very important, a high priest marrying a woman, she needed to be a virgin. Not that God doesn't love women who had uh, lost their virginity, uh, but so important, the, the typology here. Verse 14, the high priest should not marry a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as a wife. 
nor shall he profane his posterity among his people. For I, the Lord, sanctify him. Verse 16 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or or lame, nor who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback, or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scab, or is a eunuch. Again, read this for the first time and you're like, wait, this isn't the Jesus that I know. This isn't the God that I know. Um, Well, in one sense it is, in that Jesus was not only a fulfillment of the high priest, and and uh, uh, and this high priest being a high priest who 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 led a perfect life, Jesus also was the offering. Now we know from, uh, and we'll actually we'll get to know it uh, in uh, the succeeding chapter as well regarding sacrifices. But when a lamb was sacrificed, it could, had to be unblemished. And it could not have any kind of defect. And this is um, representing, of course, the life of Christ who lived a perfect life in order to credit that life to our account. And so there was no defect in it. So when a lamb, a Passover lamb or a lamb that was um, offered as a sacrifice by the people was offered, it had to be without blemish because it was a foreshadowing of Christ. And in order for us to have our sins paid for, the offering has to be perfect. The life, the lamb, has to be a perfect offering. And so for that reason, because the high priest is not only um, represents Jesus as high priest, but, but, but Jesus was the high priest also represents Jesus as the offering because that's who Jesus was. There, we can't read the verses enough in the book of Hebrews describing Jesus and who he was. You know, it's so important in our prayer time to sometimes just reflect on Jesus and and the beauty of his life, the beauty of um, who he is. Of course, you can do that in the Gospels, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 24, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. And so all these things we're reading in Leviticus about the importance of the um, high priest and um, the fact that he couldn't have defects, um, and he couldn't uh, have uh, defects and 
um, other, a dwarf, a, de, um, a scab, or be a eunuch. Um, all is a picture of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, holy, harmless, undefiled. That's who Jesus was. It says in verse 27 of Hebrews 7, um, Jesus is our high priest forever, does not need daily as those high priests did to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. And so some of these things may in the Leviticus may seem a little strange to us until we really uh, become familiar with uh, the uh, typology and the importance of that uh, of of the foreshadowing Jesus Christ our high priest but also our offering verse 21 no man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord he has a defect he shall not come near to offer the bread of his god verse 22 he may eat the bread of his god this is referring to the showbread, which after the required period that the showbread was before the Lord, that the that the, um, uh, that, that the uh, priests were allowed to offer, uh, rather to eat that, and their families were allowed to eat it. So he loves them. God loves um, the, uh, the the the. Man who was in the line of descendant who had a broken foot or a blind or a marred face, but because of the typology, they were unable to operate as um, as a priest. Um, so, verse twenty-two, just expressing the heart of God, he may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Chapter 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me I am the Lord and so um, when this speaks of not profaning the holy name of the Lord by what they dedicate it's going to get into some of the requirements of the offering itself Uh, the lambs that were offered or the cow that was offered uh But first, verse 3 says, Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has any uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. So a person, verse 3, who is a priest who... It's the situation where they knowingly, they they uh, mistakenly, maybe um, a priest had gone to the funeral of an immediate family member and they willingly go in to the sanctuary in prohibition of what we just read in Leviticus was a very serious thing. Again, um, sound like a broken record, I'm sure, but... When a type is violated, 
in the Bible. It's such a serious thing. Again, when Moses struck that rock the second time, when he was not instructed to, that rock is a type of Christ. That's a serious thing. And when a priest just willingly, he knows he's unclean. Uh, maybe he mistakenly had some pork or whatever, uh, touched someone with leprosy, and he's unclean. He knowingly goes into the sanctuary. It's a serious, serious thing. Christ is a fulfillment of the temple uh, as well. He's a fulfillment of the tabernacle. First uh, John chapter 1, verse uh, 14 it says, Christ tabernacled uh, uh, among us. And so for a priest just to deliberately ignore what the Word of God said and just walk into the sanctuary and begin to minister, knowing uh, uh, that uncleanness. It was such a serious thing. He would be cut off. That doesn't mean he would be um, he would be put to death, but somehow he was isolated or exiled. Verse 4, Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has had an emission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. Again, this is referring not only to the bread that was uh, the priest and his family were allowed to eat, but this is a, a number of the offerings, the peace offering, I believe the sin offering, uh, and, and uh, were part, a portion of that was reserved for the priesthood, and they and their family were allowed to eat them, but not when they were unclean. They had to wait until evening. Um, Although it does appear at the end of verse 6, it says, unless he washes his body with water. So there was um, an ex there was a way, basically, that you didn't have to wait until uh, evening. Uh, you're just famished with hunger, and God in his mercy allows the washing here. Verse 7, and when the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy offerings because it is his food. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, verse 8, he shall not eat to defile himself with it, I am the Lord. And so a common person, someone who is, I shouldn't say a common person, because everyone is an image bearer, and these are all all the Israelites, whether they're priests or not, are God's people. But uh, an, uh, someone who is not a priest was allowed to eat uh, a beast that was died naturally or torn by beasts or torn up um, and killed. Um, but they were unclean till evening, but they were still allowed to do it. Not so a priest. Verse 9, they shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. That's interesting, verse 9. So if they were, just as an example, uh, they were to eat uh, an animal that had died naturally or was torn by beasts, and they just ignored this uh, verse, and they went in to the sanctuary. It actually says here in verse 9, kind of like Nadab and Abihu offering profane fire, it says that they will die. 
kind of like Uzzah reaching up uh, in in uh, the I think it's Second Samuel and touching the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it's a serious thing uh, to enter in the presence of the Lord without the proper uh, properly abiding by the Word of God in a term in terms of the sacrifices that had to be made the and 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 being uh, in in operating and obeying the the laws concern concerning ceremonial cleanliness. And so, um, verse 10 says, No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And and one who is born in his house may eat his food. So that's um, someone who is a, a, a slave of the priest was considered a part of his family and could eat the offerings of the Lord. Verse 12, if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, meaning someone outside of the... It either means someone outside of the tribe of Levi, or it means someone who uh, is not in a descendant of one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food but no outsider shall eat it. And if a man eats the holy offerings unintentionally, so if maybe an outsider or foreigner unintentionally he was a guest at the house of the priest and he's walking, you know, uh, gets up in the middle of the night and says, hmm, what is this, uh, this bread here on the counter and uh, chomps at it and wakes up and the rest of the household is horrified, realizing their guests had had taken some of the holy offerings. It, it says here uh, in verse 14, Then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. And so he had to actually offer a bowl, or, or in the case of bread, offer bread, uh, and in addition to that, one-fifth. So it's an expensive mistake. Verse 15, they shall not profane the holy offerings of uh, of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. So it's interesting in verse 16, he's actually protecting these people. Look, don't let these... Um, uh, these outsiders uh, eat something um, that is a holy offering because they'll have to bear their guilt and could result in a death uh, uh, because of the holiness of God and he's protecting them here. Verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the stranger's in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free will offerings which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering you sh- shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle from the sheep or from the goats and so what do you what you have here in the first 6 to 8 chapters of Le- Leviticus you have a description of all of the offerings and 
it typically, such as chapter 1 of Leviticus, speaks of the burnt offering. And in verse 3, it says, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. It doesn't define what without blemish means. It was so important with the typology, the offering being a type of Christ who also was without blemish, that they understand what a blemish meant. So uh, we are going to be instructed now in chapter 22, Leviticus, what that meant to have a blemish, for an offering to have a, blem a, a blemish. And so blemish offerings uh, would not be allowed. Why? Because Christ had an unblemished, undefiled life. We just read about that in Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 20 says, whoever has a defect, or rather, whatever has, in other words, whatever offering has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. I think of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. He says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is the requirement to get into heaven. Well, that's a big problem for us because no one's perfect, not even one, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Well, Christ was perfect for us. And so that's why the offering, it says, verse 22, it must be perfect to be accepted. Father, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, accepted the offering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? He lived a perfect life. He underwent every kind of trial and temptation that we did, yet without sin. And so these offerings, all the typology here of the offering of Christ, and so they could not have blemishes. Verse 22 says, Those offerings that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make any offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer it to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because there is corruption in them, and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. In the book of Malachi, a wonderful book, it's a uh, a wonderful book. I love teaching from the book of Malachi. It's actually very easy to teach from the book of Malachi. I feel like Malachi, by the Holy Spirit, just offers up softballs uh, for the, the preacher and the teacher. Um, it's, it's not a hard book to teach. And uh, one of, in, in, in chapter um, uh, in chapter 1, verse 7, this is Malachi, this is rather God speaking to uh, his people through Malachi, says this, You offer defiled food or defiled offerings on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? This is how, by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. 
And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. In other words, if the governor's showing up to, to your house or the mayor, would you offer them these things? Would he be pleased with you? Verse 8 continues, would he accept it? Favorably, says the Lord of hosts. And so, and so uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of pathetic that the Lord has to tell the nation of Israel, look, when you offer something to the Lord, make sure it's not bl- bl- blind or broken or diseased or, or maimed or bruised or crushed. I mean, who would do that? Well, people in rebellion. We see in Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, that's in fact what they were doing. They were saying to themselves, verse 7 of Malachi 1, the table of the Lord is contemptible, meaning we can offer up anything there. It's just this religious exercise. Let's go offer up what we need to do, and then we can go about our week and do whatever that uh, we want to do. No, this is, uh, this is um, a, a very serious thing. So it then says in verse 26 of uh, chapter 22 of Leviticus, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or sheep or a goat is born... It shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. You ask why? Not sure other than it may take that amount of time to determine whether or not there's a defect. Uh, so uh, interesting um, law there that needed to be eight years old before it was offered. Verse 28, whether it is a cow or a, a, a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. I can't really help you with getting an understanding of why this was the case, um, other than to speculate that perhaps that kind of pagan, there was a pagan practice uh, at the time in the pagan temples of offering a, a, a cow and her child. Uh, I, I do not know or... So um, let's just move on. Verse 29 says, And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. And this is just so important, that our offerings to the Lord are offered with a cheerful heart. Second Corinthians says, God loves a cheerful giver. And it, it, means he, it doesn't mean he doesn't love uh, someone who doesn't, uh, give cheerfully, but he delights, he loves, he's pleased, he's blessed. You know, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. How do we bless the Lord? By offering what we offer to him with our own free will and not under compulsion. And and, and so, uh, so important um, that our service to the Lord, and this is, you know, we offer our tithes and offering, but also our service. If we're offering our service under compulsion, that does not please the Lord. We're not being cheerful givers of ourselves. We want to bless the heart of the Lord. When Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, many people think that's just speaking about singing. It couldn't be further from the truth. You need to read the rest of that psalm and Psalm 104, which uses the same language. It's blessing Him with our life, that we're offering up to Him, Um, out of our own free will. Verse 30 says, On the same day it shall be eaten, meaning the Thanksgiving offering. Look, if if we're serious about our Thanksgiving offering, we should be 
eating it the same uh, day um, because part of a Thanksgiving offering is that fellowship with the Lord and we should, and, and we should be offering that fellowship you know, while we're at the time of our offering with our hearts when they're rejoicing in the Lord. You shall leave none of it till the morning. I am the Lord. Verse 31, Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane. What does that mean? Make common. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That word sanctify, particularly in this context, means setting you apart. Setting you apart for for what? Um, So that the world, so that uh, the the people of the world can can look at you and that you will be accurately representing God. In this case where we're in this chapter we're talking about priests so that people will see you and see what's going on and it will accurately represent God. I mean can you imagine if the world sees a nation offering up the worst of its lambs the skinniest ones, the maimed ones, the ones with mange, the ones with diseased, even dead. What that tells the world. And so the analogy is today, if the world sees us offering our pocket change to the world, or if the world sees us just being incredibly, you know, workaholics when we're out in our secular job but we're just giving him the very least of our energy at church what does that tell us about our heart for God what does that tell us um, tell the world about God's relationship with his people and so such a an important thing that we not profane God's holy name verse 33 who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God I am the Lord. Okay, well, next time we will pick up in Leviticus chapter 23. God bless you.